This is the Trey Blocker Show, starring Charlie Hodge and Trey Blocker. And now, here's Trey Blocker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Trey Blocker Show. We are in Houston, Texas today, visiting with Paul Simpson, chairman of the Harris County Republican Party. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for journeying all the way to, to Houston, Trey. It was a long trek from Austin, long <laughs> trek. But, you know, I'll, I'll do that drive any day before, before I do the drive to Dallas. Yeah. Well, so much here, easier. In my car, no, my car can autopilot between here and Austin. It's not a problem. I, I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. So I noticed in your bio you were born and raised in Louisiana. Is that right? I'm a New Orleans native. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. That's why I talk fast and I sound like I'm a Yankee, but uh, <laughs> I'm not. I was born south of I-10 uh, in, in, in New Orleans, and then I came here for college Okay. Uh, and just never went back. Gotcha. And you became active in Republican politics at a very young age uh, compared to most people. So you were 13? 13. Okay. What, what, was, what was the motivation for that? Well, I, I had a, a dad. My, my dad was very conservative, and he put National Review in my hands when I was six years old. <laughs> um, That'll do it. So I was reading William <laughs> F. Buckley from the time I was in grade school, and then my mother became a real active Republican woman. Okay. Uh, one of the pioneers back in those days. Was Louisiana was then a very Democrat state. Right. And uh, she ended up just being active statewide, helping elect the first Republican congressman from my area. Anyway, I saw her actually making a difference. My dad was the armchair, uh, you know, uh, philosopher, right. uh, but she was actually out making a difference. So I got involved in student politics early on, then I decided real politics was even more fun. So I uh, got engaged about uh, freshman year of high school and never stopped. The rest is history, that's as right. they say. And then you came to Texas to attend Rice University. I did. Um, that's a pretty good school. I'm not sure they would have let me in, so you must be pretty smart. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Snuck through. Um, so I got a couple of degrees from Rice. Uh, engineering. Did, yeah, history and engineering, okay. and then I went to work in the oil field uh, as an engineer, uh, which I was a lot of fun. And then I started, while I was doing that, I went to law school at night. Okay. Uh, finished up law school and been practicing law ever since. So which, which did you like better, the practice of law or oil and gas engineer work? Practice of law. It was okay. a lot more, on a day-to-day -day basis, a lot more fun. Yeah. i get up and it was a, particularly I do litigation. So you always have an opponent and, you know, we're, some of us are pretty competitive by spirit. And I just sure. love having the, the adversarial relationship uh, and, and challenge every day. And so that's what I got to like about the law. Okay. So today you're a partner at McGinnis Lockridge and Kilgore. Yes, Austin-based firm. Right? Exactly. I do mostly oil and gas law given my background as a, as a petroleum engineer. Okay. So. And so you decided, I believe, in 2014 to run, f is that right? Actually, I ran, that was the third time I ran for county chair. Okay. So, okay. I've been involved in the party and politics here back in the 80s in, in the local, uh, in, in a big way. I've been, worked in campaigns initially, and then when, in the early 80s, I started getting involved in campaigns. I was involved in the Jack Kemp campaign in 88. Oh, wow. uh, then I became a precinct chair uh, in the neighborhood, the house I still live in, and I was a precinct chair in that neighborhood for 20 years. And while I did that, I was also, uh, at one point, legal counsel and then later treasurer of the party. Okay. Uh, so I've always, I was always active. Right. And then I ran, for, I, I thought the party had been headed into a serious decline and ran for county chair first time in 2010. Okay. Uh, there was actually a three or four way race that year. <clears throat> um, I ran again in 12, almost won with all of $15,000 in a very grassroots campaign. <laughs> Got 48% of the vote. Right. And in 2014, it was a very serious race and, and uh, I did unseat the incumbent and, I, so, and I've been reelected once since then. All right. 
So what, uh, what was the motivating? I mean, you've been involved in politics your whole life, but what motivated you to get involved at the county level and want to be chairman of the party? Uh, well, I, I've been involved in campaigning. I even had a campaign job when I was in college, uh, working in congressional campaigns around the country. I learned a lot about campaigning. Uh, I love organization uh, and, and seeing the need for a good grassroots organization. I was always a grassroots organizer, and that's what I did when I was in college. Uh, and a I'm a real believer in grassroots politics. Right. And uh, again, I've been, we're a very big county. I think as of this week, the latest numbers indicate we're, Harris County is bigger than 26 states. We've just passed Louisiana, I think. Right. And you're the, you're the largest Republic, county Republican party in the country. I'm sure we are. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. the third largest county in the country and the only, with, by easy, easily the biggest swing county. The right. county has swung back and forth. Sure. It's going Democrat the last three presidential elections. Right. Um, so, but on the other hand, in the off years in 2014, we just had the best year we'd had in a decade for the Republican Party. Right. So it's a it's definitely a battleground, and we we treat it that way. And I had seen the the demographics are a big thing here in Harris County, very diverse county, and the party had had been shrinking from quite a few years, and so we needed to turn that around. Right. So you've you've been chairman for about three years now. Right. What what uh, tell us about some of the accomplishments <coughs> of the past three years? Uh, well, I, we've been growing the party. A lot of focus on growth, uh, both uh, in terms of activists, party operations, elections, everything we do. So uh, we the, when I took over the party had one headquarters, kind of an, a, a small office uh, and one employee. We now have five offices. I think we're up to nine employees, okay. uh, we, and that's all to support the growing grassroots operation. We've rec we have over a thousand precincts in Harris County voting precincts, and we as of this spring we've we had brought in I think well over 250 new precinct chairs. Oh wow! So a lot of recruiting, and then we've also increased our training. So a lot of focus on the grassroots side mm -hmm. of things, and building that infrastructure to elect uh, elect candidates. Um, and then improving our data, use of data and our technology and everything else. We, so I, we easily have the most sophisticated uh, voter data operation of sure. any county party in the country. Sure. Te technology is becoming increasingly important in campaigns. Uh, what are you guys doing to utilize Facebook, Instagram, uh, and all of these other technologies to reach uh, existing voters and to bring in younger voters as well? Well, that, we're doing this on Facebook Live, we, right. and uh, we just have a communications director started last week, Vladimir Davidyuk, if I can pronounce his name properly, um, <laughs> who's been an activist for years and was a, has been a precinct chair, but right. is also now helping ramp us up in that, in that effort, get more and more into, into the you know, different communications programs, because there's so many ways people get information. Absolutely. Um, and so we, we're trying to get do more and more. Of that. We can always do more, and it's constantly changing. Right. It's changed in the three years I've been county chair. Uh, we had major digital uh, side to our campaigns now, for instance, online, a lot of advertising. We can do a lot of stuff, uh, tracking voters, finding voters, because it's they don't want to be found. People don't want to answer their <laughs> they don't want to answer their That's phone. True. They don't want to open their door. Right. Uh, we do all that. We do phone banking. We do block walking. But you have to use a lot of other you know. You know tools in the toolbox now to, sure. to get your message out. Well, I think I saw a news flash yesterday. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook, announced there are two billion users on Facebook every month. It's astounding. It's, uh, and you know what? Even if he's half wrong, that's an incredible <laughs> that's number, right. That's right. right? 
Right. Uh, so yeah, we definitely have to use all those technologies. And, and especially this last election cycle, there seemed to be a lot of uh, statistics or and anecdotal evidence that millennials are, are leaning more towards uh, the Bernie Sanders of the world or the Hillary Clintons of the world. Uh, what, what's the GOP message have to be to appeal to millennials and bring them into the party? Uh, that's a good question. I think some of that's overstated. Okay. Um, but because both parties uh, have a problem getting young people to vote. Sure. If you, you, know, you look at the, the age of voters, it, they certainly trend upward as they get older for any, a lot of reasons. Um, but <clears throat> we, we do need to make the party open to millennials. I'm happy to, we're making having a fair amount of success here. I know, for instance, in May, we brought in 24 new precinct chairs at our last meeting. Uh, I think a third of them were under the age of 30. Oh, wow. That's um, impressive. And we're getting more and more young people involved. But a key, you've got to make it fun. Uh, and there's an element to it being cool. I mean, and, and so uh, issues are important. I'm not sure everybody's driven, at, particularly at that age, in, into the details of, of a lot of issues. That's I know right. we talk to them oftentimes they haven't fully formed their opinions. So when we let them see why a conservative solution is ultimately better for their lives and as they get married and they start having families, they see it really more to their benefit. I think sure. we can, we, ultimately we need to take care of the issues that matter to them and it's going to be their daily lives. Right. Not everyone was reading the National Review at age six. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and sadly, and you've seen this as well, we, we see these uh, amazingly depressing uh, video clips of the man on the street interviews where people can't even name who the first president of the United States was and uh, or what the First Amendment's about and all of that's extremely sad. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done in that. In there that is, area. and I don't know how many of those people vote either. You know, and, right. and, so when those people know nothing, they're, they're probably not going to vote either. Sure. Uh, and that's probably, I, I think if you look at Barack Obama, one thing he was able to do was excite people who probably didn't pay a lot of attention to politics. Right. Because it was a cool thing to do. They didn't really know the issues. I mean, I think they're also man on the Hope street. Hope and change. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> well, and so I think that's one of Donald Trump's brilliance, it, brilliant moves, is to understand a simple message, uh, and he's a good salesman. Right. So make America great again. And a lot of people can understand what that was. And you got to have a tagline. We do. And right. we've got to keep it simple and, and so people understand and, and then bring it home to them. Sure. Uh, I, you know, and I, that's part of our overall strategy. Right. How, do we how do we make a difference in people's lives? Right. So Trump didn't do very well in Harris County. Why is that? Well, he didn't do very well in any big city, in the, almost any big city in the country. Okay. He also didn't, there's a great map the Washington Post had showing uh, how the, he did in 2016 versus Romney in 2012. Uh, and so this was a nationwide phenomenon where traditional Republicans didn't vote for Trump. Texas is an example. Uh, the state of Texas went for Romney by over 16%, went for Trump under 9%. So he lost 7% of the, of, the, of the margin there right. compared to Romney. Um, Trump uh, lost Harris County by almost 10 times what McCain had lost it by in 08. Mm. But Clinton also... Hillary Clinton won Fort Bend County. She won the city of Fort Which Worth. Which is traditionally a conservative county. Absolutely. So is Tarrant County, where Fort Worth is. Right. And, right. And now, Tarrant County went for Trump, but the city of Fort Worth went for Clinton. The Congressional District 7 here, like I think 27 Republican districts in the country, went for uh, Trump, uh, for Clinton. And for another extreme is, is Orange County, California, went for Clinton the first time, and it went for a Democrat in 80 years. Wow. Uh, at the same time, a lot of traditional Democrat areas swung to Trump. So that's how he got Pennsylvania and, sure. and Michigan and sure. Wisconsin. And, uh, so he did a lot better in Philadelphia County and, and Wayne County Cal uh, in Michigan than, than Romney did. So we sort of see a transition. 
And I think what, a, what a, you can see going on nationally is sort of like new groups, new groups of swing voters. The Democrats think these Republicans who voted for Clinton are now potential voters of theirs. Same time, I think there's a lot of working class people who now, like Donald Trump, we can get them to vote for the Republican Party because the Democrat is just, Democrats are just abandoning them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think the Democratic Party nationally has, has had a strong hold on blue-collar workers across the country, whether they be in Michigan or Ohio or wherever. And I think Trump did a very good job of pulling those voters away and, and, and explaining to them that the Republican Party is the party of jobs and economic growth and will ultimately uh, be best for their pocketbook at the end of the day. I think so. And I, uh, there's sort of a pentagram of issues I think the Democrat consultants, the candidates rather, have to... Uh, you know, pay, give obeisance to. Uh, they have to bow before Planned Parenthood, the LGBT uh, movement, the, the environmentalist extremists, open borders, and Black Lives Matter. Right. And they have to, somehow those, which you would think are not connected, but all those five issues are essential to being a Democrat these days. Sure. And that neglects what, besides the fact that we don't agree with those issues, uh, with them and those issues, that, that neglects what most people, particularly working class people, are looking for is that how do I get a good job? How do I put food on the table? How do I give my kids an education? Right. And we need to be able to address those issues. So let's, t let's you mentioned demographics a second ago. Let's go back to that because Harris County <clears throat> is a rapidly changing county when it comes to d demographics. I think the last number um, I saw shows that the number of non-Hispanic whites in Harris County is currently at about 30%. Yeah. About um, third, right around there. Okay. Right. So what, what are you in the Harris County Republican Party doing to reach out to minorities and, and show to them that the Republican Party is actually the home that they need to be in? It's a long-term challenge we have. We need to do more, but we've been doing a lot because I think the number I, ha I know is Harris County is about a 42% Hispanic right. uh, population and uh, about 18% black and then 8% very mixed, different Asian groups and so forth. Uh, so we don't practice identity politics. But we've got to be in their communities and, right. and get our ideas across. So one of the things we've been doing on the grassroots level uh, is recruiting more activists, precinct chairs. Also, last round of precinct chairs we put in, we had several uh, from 95% Democrat precincts. We've made it, facilitated them being able to get in and get involved. So that's we building a force on the ground. Uh, we're always looking for candidates to, to, who appeal to different groups. Uh, we're working with the state party, has some folks here do we, we've had a listening tour, for instance, in Hispanic communities. We've had several events where we bring folks in. We want to listen to them, particularly uh, they're, they're concerned about the about the Republican Party, uh, and so and we're increasing our presence in geographic areas around the county, uh, particularly on the east side of the county, which was long neglected by the right. party. Right. And then, uh, same time, we're we're figuring out ways we get our message into those communities. I think with the particularly with the data we have, we can. We know where to go, and then we just need good messengers. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think if we look at the numbers, uh, most major cities in the country have been under democratic control and rule for the past 50 years, and that hasn't improved the, the lives or bla of blacks or Hispanics right. at all for the right. most part. And so I think right. they, sh every they should be open to a new message at this point. Yeah, and we're doing that, and uh, we're working that in Houston in 2015. In fact, we got very involved in, this, in the mayor's race, more than we ever had probably. Right. Uh, it became very close. There are a few precincts in Fort. We only lost Harris County portion of Houston by 600 votes, and uh, the total rose. They said uh, it may have been the closest mayor's race in you know 30 or 50 years, and there's some precincts in Fort Bend County that are 95% Democrat. That helped them. Right. Uh, the current mayor win, but I think we're going to have going forward. Um, 
the Democrats are, are not helping Houston. <clears throat> we have, the, the city of Houston has some major problems and I think the Democrats are still gonna be focused on again, their social justice issues, which aren't gonna help people's, uh, you know, their daily lives. Well, and as we discussed before the before we started the show, City of Houston has just joined the lawsuit against Senate Bill Four, which is this sanctuary city ban that the legislature passed this session. And, and so, there's another good example of a major city focusing on a on a social issue and not focusing on their core responsibilities. Well, you know, the prior mayor had this uh, ordinance, a hero ordinance, which had to do with the bathrooms. But we're, I think, the only city uh, in the country that's actually had a vote. An ordinance like that, and it, it was defeated 61 to 39 here. So there was widespread. So even though the, the city council approved that and the mayor did, they clearly the citizens didn't. So explain to our audience, uh, Mr. Chairman, what the hero ordinance proposed. That was an ordinance that uh, technically created the protected class of, of a bunch of different groups that they sold initially as an anti-discrimination law, but it created what they call a protected class in the law of uh, other groups, including. Uh, I think those gender identity, sexual orientation, and so forth. And then it said you couldn't dis discriminate um, against any of those protected classes with regard to use of bathrooms and other facilities. Mm. The simple point was it led men into women's bathrooms. Right. And the voters <laughs> did not like that, including the, the Democrat voters. Right. Uh, so the citizenry clearly was against it and, and voted overwhelmingly to overturn it. Uh, as again, I, this has been going on around the country. The left has been pushing these. Uh, these laws, and I think uh, we showed that citizens don't want it, Democrats and Republicans, which is why I, I support Dan Patrick's uh, Privacy Act at the, at the legislature. Right. I think it would avoid this re repetitive fight that we're going to have in every city and every uh, school district across the state uh, because the left is going to keep pushing it. So the left has been pushing this issue for, for a decade, if not longer. President Obama issued an executive order right. uh, dictating who could use bathrooms and who right. couldn't. So, so there, there was a bill in the legislature this session that would have prohibited local governmental entities from dictating to school districts or businesses how they operate their, their, their bathrooms, well, right? I think that was the House bill that never got out of committee. Right. So my question for you is this. We have a Republican governor a Republican lieutenant governor, a Republican speaker, conservative majority in the Senate, a Republican majority in the House. In your opinion, why didn't this bill pass? Well, we'll see what it does in the special session or not. Um, I, I, there's a lot of, I think, misinformation about it. And, right. and the sales pitch, as we heard here in Houston, was, well, this will wreck your businesses. I think that's a, that's a phony story. Uh, it's trumped up by those who want to oppose the bill and looking for an excuse. Uh, and but I think the bigger picture we folks ought to think about on both sides of those, even those who are kind of squeamish about this, is let's, it's not just about bathrooms. It's also about is are we going to have this repeated fight in every city and every school district? That's right. Because the left is going to keep pushing this issue. So that's why I think the Privacy Act, some version of it, even the House version, would end that fight, and then we can spend our time worrying about the things that we really need to fix in Texas, like our school finance system. Sure. Uh, and, and other issues. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of growth coming in the state as we do here locally. We've got a lot of issues to face. How do, how do we handle all that going forward? So tell us what the most important issues are to Republican voters in Harris County right now. Um, <laughs> well, there's, there's a lot of them. I don't know if there's any one issue, and it depends on where they are. We have a, a, a constant um, fight here, uh, like if you're in the city of Houston. Again, we talked about the city pushing these social issues. Right. Uh, the city 
has, as a lot of municipalities do, Dallas as well, serious problems with its public pensions. You know, there's been a big fight and with, through the legislature this session. Right. Uh, I think Houston's solution in the end, there were a lot of Republicans and conservatives got involved and, and business folks uh, to fix the proposal the mayor had had here in Houston. It was a, his, he had a start, but he was not gonna fix the problem. But I think the final bill will fix the problem. And then we get that behind us because it's just been, our infrastructure's been crumbling while all the money goes into pensions. Sure. Um, so we have, going forward, there, there's, people want property tax relief. Right. We all know it. I think, um, personally, I think that's, uh, the real fix is that somehow we figure out a way to, to finance our schools some other way other than property tax. That's right. Because it creates these situations that have been going on for apparently 50 years. Uh, how do we fund our schools right. uh, under the state constitution? So probably a decade ago, the, the state funded about 60% of our public schools and, and the local entities provided about 40%. It is now flipped so that local entities through property taxes are providing 60% of the funding for public schools. The state is providing 40. So uh, I think what you, I just heard you say is the state needs to increase its share uh, and they got to find out some way to do that, right? Yeah. Uh, some, well, the, the problem is, is the property tax the right way to finance your schools? Right. That's really the fundamental problem. I mean, I think a lot of Republicans was, don't like a property tax. Uh, a consumption tax would probably be fairer, mm -hmm. which is a sales tax, essentially. Right. And if you could find some way to, to use statewide sales money, uh, like then to finance our schools, we could get, overcome the problem that the courts have continually raised under the Constitution about the equity of the funding. Uh, the lawsuits other, that we've been in for 20 years. Right. The right. Ongoing lawsuits. So, right. and, and, you know, and so the Supreme Court, last time it ruled, the, what, about two years ago, a year or so ago, whatever it was, said it's constitutional, but it's but it stinks. Right. Um, so that I'm <clears throat> not sure that that's going to stick. So something's got to be done to, to fix the school finances. So I'm going to throw you off here for a second. Do you remember the movie Far and Away with Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise? I'm not sure. I'm not that big a fan. Of, <laughs> well, me neither. I, I'm not sure me neither. And I'd hate to say here while we're being recorded that, that my ideal of Americanism is taken from a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> but in this movie, there's a scene uh, in which he rides a horse out across a field and he's got a flag. And he puts his flag in the ground and stakes out his hundred acres of land that from that point forward is his. Right? Okay. And my idea of, of the American dream is if I want to go buy a hundred acres of land and I want to get some cows and I want to get some chickens and I want to get some goats and not talk to anybody for the rest of my life, I should be able to do that. But you can't do that in Texas or any place in America because you have to pay rent to the government every year. <laughs> so I am fundamentally opposed to a property tax. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, do you ever think we will get to a point where we can find a different way to fund our schools? Well, I think it's been a problem. People have been saying we need to do it. I think we need to rethink the whole uh, system, how we tax, and, and particularly school finance. Right. Uh, and, and you have the situation like a county here in Harris County, uh, sort of unique, that the county does not get any sales taxes. It has to get its property taxes and, and some fees and other issues. And yet the, the unincorporated part of Harris County, I think, is almost 2 million people now. It's huge. And, the county, and it's growing much faster than the county at large. The unincorporated portion is growing like three times faster than the county overall. So the county has a lot of obligations it's got to fulfill and it keeps requiring more property taxes and the state's requiring them to do that. And so it would be better to have a, a, a consumption related tax and I think ultimately more efficient, the economists would tell you too. 
Um, otherwise, sure. the property tax just, just uh, affects property values and distorts is fairly distorting thing in the market. Right. So I want to go back to, to party structure and, and your efforts to elect Republicans. Once you get Republicans elected and you send them to Austin, right, if, if they're running for the House or the Senate or statewide elected office, how do you as a party at the county level help keep them accountable to the people who put them there? Um, we try to provide a lot of information. You, you may guess that every Republican agrees with every other Republican. Shocking. And, yeah. <laughs> and so we, you know, the part, problem of it, and regardless of what I think, and I have certainly strong opinions on a lot of issues, right. but I have to recognize there are Republicans who don't agree with each other on everything. Uh, and so, but we, our grassroots want to get very involved. So we sure. try to get them information. We help, um, the, the SP4 thing, for instance, uh, that we haven't got into that. The sanctuary, sanctuary cities, cities issue, right. which is a, a big issue for us, and, and recently Houston uh, decided to intervene in the lawsuit opposing it. So we just let our grassroots know, and here's how to go down, and who, who to call, here's the information you can do, you, you pursue it. And a lot of them did that, got involved, went down to City Hall. So the same thing with our, uh, uh, our legislators. And, and so I know there, our groups, the Republican women's groups, our other clubs, and our precinct chairs get very involved uh, talking to our legislators, and we try to keep a lot of of open communication. Right. Uh, I know like my state reps here often have, I'll be next week, there'll be a precinct chair meeting, what I'm having. Stay in touch with a lot of their activists sure. grassroots. Sure. Um, and same, and so we, we do that a lot to, to get information out to what they're doing, what's going on. We need to improve that. I want to do, I want to do more of that. Right. That's why we're working a whole communications program. Well, having been in Austin for 20 years and been involved in po politics for 20 years, you know, I, I've watched over the years Republicans who campaign on being pro-business and free market, and they get to Austin and they, they vote the opposite way. So um, I've watched that happen. I, I've watched the corrosive, corruptive influence of the process and, and money in elections uh, influence the way they vote. And, and, you know, I've historically been, personally been against term limits and any caps on contributions, but at some, some days I wonder if that's a debate we should, we should reignite and have again. Do you, do you have a position on term limits? Uh, I, I used to be very strongly in favor of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm not so sure it's, they're applicable in every, every situation. Uh, I know the counter argument always is, you know, eventually you can vote them out of office. Um, I'd say I'd be a lukewarm supporter because I, cause I, I can, there are times in which I think it's, it's cutting off your nose to spite your face if you have a good office holder. That's right. And you may be sacrificing a very close district, for instance. Right. Uh, and so um, I'm not so convinced it would be appropriate at every level. But there are certain instances I think we, we'd be good. Sure. For sure. Um, what, what about contribution caps? Uh, I don't know that, I mean, at the federal level, I think it's been sort of a disaster. You know, the, the federal level of campaigns are much more restricted than we are at the st most state campaigns. And as a result, federal campaigns are all about fundraising because they have these small amounts from lots of people. It's good right. you have to go talk to lots of people. Sure. Uh, but rather than developing policy, rather than you know, really trying to work on issues sometimes, mm -hmm. they're raising fund fundraising constantly right. until you can get a machine in place that'll raise money for you. So uh, I'm not so sure I'm a, I'm a believer in caps. 
Okay. Uh, the, I'm happy to say the party does not have a cap, so people are free to give as much money as they, <laughs> they want to give the Harris County Republican Party. And if they want to give the Harris County Republican Party money, what's the website they need to go Harris to? HarrisCountyGOP.com. HarrisCountyGOP.com. Yeah. And that's one thing, too, you yeah, master what we've done with the party. Our party locally, before I took office, was had been typically funded over 80% by its own office holders and candidates. Right. We've done a lot of work expanding the fundraising base this year so far. I think 84% of our money has come from non-office holders. Right. So uh, campaign years, candidates put more in, but uh, you know, we, we're proud of that, and that's a constant effort we've got. Sure. We're trying to expand our donor base. And that's another thing that's helpful. You talk about the corrosive effect of money in politics. If you're dependent on one donor, it's a problem. Absolutely. So the more donors you have, the more people you have contributing, then the better then no one person's gonna to have too much control. And I think that's that's part of it, which is the argument, I guess, for camp, camp, uh, contribution limits, but most people's pocketbook becomes a limit. That's you know? right, so, sure, most people. Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> again, back to what, one comment I wanna to make too about, yes, the, it's about the legislature. Right. It's interesting, when, when the more you hang around it, you've been around it enough, and it's often pointed out that the real divide in many issues in Texas isn't Republican-Democrat, but urban-rural. Absolutely. You know, and there are right. a lot of issues. Um, one issue, for instance, I was talking with somebody yesterday, I'm not sure I agree with this, but I think it's a, an issue the governor's put in the special session uh, on uh, the checkoff for uh, collecting public union dues, Right. which Scott Walker managed to get rid of in Wisconsin. It had a huge opening effect, it allowed a lot more conservative reforms to go through. Absolutely. We had a bill to do that, uh, one of our Houston folks pushing it, who had been in a long lawsuit against SEIU. He's bankrupted the local SEIU. And this is something that would help us statewide. And I'm, I'm hearing the argument, well, the rural Republicans don't want to get rid of this. I'm not sure I buy that. But I'm not sure I do either. But, but that's what I was told. Okay. I think this is just a no-brainer to me for Republicans because this is a way that the, uh, the state is helping fund our opposition. And so uh, Scott Walker did it in, in Wisconsin. There's no reason that, that the the state should be used to collect dues for public unions. That for then, any entity, for, the, for yeah. any private organization yeah. for that matter. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's an important issue we, we ought, the legislature ought to tackle. Right. So. Well, they'll be tackling 20 issues in the upcoming special session. <laughs> Probably. Uh, if not more, who knows, the governor could always add more to the call, right? So uh, I'd love to spend all afternoon talking about <laughs> those issues, but I think we're running out of time. Uh, Chairman Simpson, we like to end each episode of the Trade Blocker Show with some words of wisdom from our guest. Uh, you know, some people give us a Bible verse, some people give us a quote, or, or just something off the top of your head, some motivating words for young Republicans out there. Okay, well, I, I have Bible verses for a lot of personal life, family life, but one thing I like in politics is something that was long attributed to Edmund Burke, who was one of my conservative heroes. Right. Uh, and I'm not sure it actually he said it, but it said that you know all that's required for the forces of evil to win is for enough uh, good people to do nothing. That's right. And I think that's the key. That's a reason to get involved. People get involved in politics, find out very few people are, and how big a difference a small number can make. That's right. So if you just that's why you should should be involved. You know, this is a volunteer job for me, and uh, uh, and so I'm, like a lot of us here, we're involved because we, we care about our country, care about our future, and care about our kids' future. Uh, so and I, I passionately believe in the United States, and I think we've got the best system of government, and we've got a wonderful tradition. We need to worry about it because if we don't. The other saying is, you know, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. And so if we don't protect it, uh, every generation you have to renew that. That's so, right. again, that uh, all the required forces of evil is enough people, good people to do nothing. So we all need to do something to get involved. 
Very good. Chairman Simpson, thank you for your time. Thank you, Trey. Thanks for coming on the Trey Blocker Show. Appreciate it. This has been the Trey Blocker Show. If you like what you heard, please visit TreyBlocker.com for more episodes and a chance to donate and support the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you.